Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. The dead won't buy me. It's the living you gotta worry about. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello? Hi? Hi! (laughs) (gasps) Welcome! To the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We're back. We're back again. How are you? Vicky? After a long hiatus. I'm oh. I'm pretty okay. How are you, Janelle? It was supposed to be a hiatus of rest, but there yeah. was no rest. Yeah, so obviously we've been out for a little while, mm-hmm. but we are back again. Yes, we're here. Ready to talk about in crime person. <laughs> in person. The two of us have had quite honestly a very eventful uh last month i would say (laughs) janelle has been i'm but all everywhere nowhere yeah at the same time work school all sorts of stuff all the arty things yeah um i got an apartment yeah very exciting where's our applause button oh yeah hold on (laughs) sorry i'm uh, roll that back ah yes (laughs) got an apartment yeah so my it's a very long applause. It is a very long applause. Um, Almost a standing ovation. <laughs> yeah. So it ended up working out pretty nice because it gave me time to do some moving. But of course, you know, in the interim, I've just been consuming crime mm-hmm. and crime related things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were just um, right before we started podcasting, Tiff and I were talking about Will Be Wild, which I would recommend to everybody. It's about the insurrection. Mm-hmm. Very interesting stuff yeah. and how the, the the insurrectionists in jail were playing Magic the Gathering. Oh, God. Yeah, there's a lot of deep internet chat room crossover it's culture in that, and it's a little bit... Yeah, so if you want something, <laughs> something new, you can check that out. But before you do that, you should... Listen to us. Talk about some crime. We're going to crime right now. We I mean, we're not going to crime right now, but you know. <laughs> we haven't done that in a while. Um... <laughs> So before we jump back into it, let's head over to the newsroom. Almost forgot the format of our own podcast. <laughs> I know. I was putting this together. It was like, how? How do? How, how, do, how we do? do we do this? <laughs> how do we do? So... 
the biggest piece as we record this. <laughs> I mean, which big piece? <laughs> yes. For me, I'll say the biggest piece for me. Mm-hmm. I was very excited. Elizabeth Holmes mm-hmm. got sentenced literally like a day ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as we record this. And I was watching the live tweeting from one of the reporters that was in there and was trying to explain this to people at, at work as it was happening and you think they would why I'm have so excited about it. Knowledge about it in the, in the uh, Not, area in which you work. <laughs> you would think so, but like work cop doesn't really like mm. cross over into fraud and murder. So <laughs> sometimes um yeah, sometimes people are not as into it as I am. Mm-hmm. And those happen to be the people in the office that day. <laughs> I love them. But, um, so Elizabeth Holmes, for those that don't know, if you've been living under a rock, uh, was a former founder and CEO of Theranos. In January, she was found guilty on four charges of defrauding investors. She had originally been charged um, with some like patient fraud cases yeah. that she was found not guilty on. Then her partner and former boyfriend, Sonny Balwani, went to trial before her sentencing and was found guilty, I think, on all charges, Mm. which is interesting. But her sentencing came up, happened uh, just recently, and she received 11 years and three months in prison. And how much of that do you think she'll actually do? Most of it. You think so? I do. And a lot of it, it's mainly because she will be going to a federal prison mm-hmm. versus a state prison. Um, federal prisons don't have parole also. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you don't necessarily have, like, getting out early for whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll also say up until this point, she has not served any jail time. Yeah. So she also does not have an out for, like, time served. Mm-hmm. There is also a... I think after her 11 years, three months, she's on three years supervised release. And there is a fine and restitution that has to be paid that's going to be determined at a later date. Um, the sentence itself generally includes a fine of $400, like 100 for each count of fraud, like in general mm-hmm. for the guidelines. But she'll have restitution mm-hmm. for the people that she defrauded. Yep. So as, it's, yeah, <laughs> as it stands, um, right now she has to self-surrender to custody on April 27th, 2023. Why might it be so far away, you you might ask? Well, it's because she got pregnant ah, <laughs> again. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've been following the trial, you'll know she was pregnant just before her trial started um, and had, the, had her baby. I don't remember if she had a son or a daughter before the trial started. Um, so they had to actually delay the trial for her first pregnancy, and now she is showing up to sentencing, pregnant, pregnant again, which She's is like going to keep popping them in there, roll it back. <laughs> well, and I feel you know I've been talking to a lot of people about this verdict, and I do feel really bad for the kids mm-hmm. because you know not having your mother for eleven years is huge, especially yeah. as a baby. Like, yeah. <laughs> but the woman made a choice Mm -hmm. um, to continue pregnancy knowing full well that there was a possibility that she would be spending time in prison. Mm -hmm. So that's how I feel about that. Maybe she was hoping that that would change the outcome. I mean, to be frank, she is a smart, young, white woman. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people... (laughs) A lot of people didn't think she was going to get any time. I'll tell you, um, before the sentencing came down, prosecutors were asking for 15 years. Mm Uh, the defense team was asking for 18 months house arrest. 
So 11 years is a pretty good compromise, I would say. Um, I think in total, she could have gotten up to 40, although I think when it came down to it, the guidelines suggested 11 to 15. Mm -hmm. So she actually got the, the lighter end of that. So anyway, big news. We've been talking about the Elizabeth Holmes case for the last two years, like as this has been rolling out. So I am thrilled to see like some accountability for these white collar criminals, so-called white collar criminals that you would, um, especially somebody defrauding in the medical field is like, I think there is something especially heinous about that because you're toying with people's well-being versus just like, rich investors money you know what i mean like there is something i think especially egregious about that so peace out elizabeth holmes (laughs) have fun in jail obviously she's expected to appeal yep if you don't know anything about this case and want to learn more um there's a great podcast called uh the dropout there's a great series called the dropout on hulu any of the podcast episodes we've talked about it oh my gosh which are so many it's <laughs> the story. It's just a very fascinating story to me. Mm-hmm. I thought you were gonna talk about the Delphi murders. No. Oh, we can talk about that oh, yeah. though. I thought you were like it's the biggest. You know, like, Delphi murder. Well, no. and, and, so <laughs> again, many things going on. <laughs> yes, there is a lot going on, and sometimes things get get sort of lost in the shuffle or overshadowed by um, you know you think would be conditioned <laughs> to that by now, but like wow. things just happen at such a speed. So yeah, let's talk about that really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. There's a huge development in the Delphi murders case they arrested a, some guy whose name i, I believe he was a former witness he was a former witness I he was the same guy I um, forget what his name is he was in the video he was in the video <clears throat> yes he was interviewed by police like five years ago i mm-hmm. think um because this story oh no i'm sorry not five would that be too long 2017 what is time so yeah. Anyway, not it's not five years ago, but he was he was investigated. Um, Richard Allen is his name. Um, he's been arrested. They made an announcement, um, did a press conference that I thought was a little cringy, but that's okay. When isn't it? I know. I know. But really fucked up, and they were trying to like backpedal. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of these. I mean, they were pretty much having this this press conference to announce the arrest of their suspect. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. I mean, there wasn't they have not released any and I, I don't blame them for not releasing any additional details because now they have to go to trial. And that is a huge thing when you're talking about jury pools. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there is no detail on this guy. Jury pools. Yeah, good fucking luck with that, bud. (laughs) I'm curious if they will, you know, as this case progresses, like if they're going to file for a change in venue just Mm. because of especially like the immediate area of Delphi, like how impacted the whole community was. Well, I mean, it's going to be difficult because that became such a national case. Yeah. Um. I don't know how how they will even do that. Yeah, they can try. I mean, I'm sure the cost of that has significantly gone up because inflation. <laughs> Talk about uh, true crime. Oh. <laughs> um. So yeah, that'll be definitely something we're watching in the next uh, couple of days. Yeah, I would say. So many things. All right, we're going to move on. <laughs> Unless there's another big news piece. I mean, we could save it. <laughs> we could save all the news. There's so many, so much news. We're going to move on to Netflix and kill. 
Kill chill. This week, HBNO, HBNO. HB Railroad? And HBO and Kill, where we're talking about Low Country, the Murdaugh dynasty. Yes, I did watch this. Which was, one, it was great because it's only three episodes. So very compact compared to like series i mean it's still like yeah. three hours but I mean, it's very compact <laughs> very compact which i'm sure you appreciated because you're very much like cut out all the fluff i do and i don't with this particular case issue cases there's cases. a lot of murders or, yeah and fraud revolving around them <laughs> a lot a lot of unanswered questions so essentially, the story uh, centers around the Murdoch family and sort of the hold they have on the Low Country and like um, South Carolina's like legal system in specific. Mm-hmm. So the Murdoch family has been the solicitor of the county essentially for years, like decades, <laughs> decades, mm-hmm. maybe in the hundreds of years, not hundreds, but like a hundred years. years yeah. <laughs> um, so they have this like stranglehold on the community. They're a very powerful family. And then there's a boat crash <laughs> and some money laundering yeah, some and insurance fraud, insurance fraud <laughs> and murder. And more murder, more and murder, questionable murder in a row, <laughs> murder. Yeah. Like it is the wildest story mm-hmm. um, that I am kind of shocked that I have not even heard of any of this until now. Yeah, it just kind of like unfolded. Like, oh, and also this thing, and also this crime. It's like, yeah, <laughs> and you do. It definitely is a situation of like people believing that because of their last name, um, that they like. Obviously, they did hold some power in the community, but, like, that was their get-out-of-jail-free card, literally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And they could kind of do whatever they want. And sort of the whole dynasty of the Murdaws just crashing down Mm -hmm. um, one thing after another. I can only tell you, one, it was good. Mm -hmm. But I can only tell you guys to go and watch it because it is so... There's I had, winding I and complex. <laughs> I watched it twice because there was things that I missed, mm-hmm. and then I'd rewind it, and then Bo got interested, and then I was like, oh, "Let's watch it again. again. Hold on. <laughs> okay, here's this over again. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, "What is happening? I was like, "Exactly. What is happening? Yeah. So many crimes. I had to like list them off, and he's like, "Wait, what? What? I didn't hear that one. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was every time that they would, you know, it sort of opens with this boat crash that one of the sons gets into and a girl goes missing amidst the wreckage um, and ends up dead. Uh, And so it opens with this and you kind of start, you know, like an onion, you peel back the layers and then, you know, well, this wasn't the first time that they've had a run in with the law. And this sort of, you know, the allegations of opioid addiction and which... Very high functioning if he was an opioid addict. Right. <laughs> yeah. And trying to influence people in these cases mm-hmm. and literally stealing money from their clients and yeah. just a lot of weird shit. The housekeeper, like, yeah, that I was like, falling down the street. You know, it just, there's so many things that happen that surround this happening down family. in the Carolinas. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it is a, a very good example of like when you have w- one family. That just runs shit. You see, I feel like you do see that a lot in the South where it's these very generational 
they, like generational after gener- generation after generation of people doing the same things, especially like attorneys. Because you don't leave that area, you know, you stay there. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. <laughs> like, I can't even mm-hmm. watch it. Watch it. It's called Low Country, the Murdoch Dynasty on HBO Max. Highly recommend. I'm also going to, you know what? Because I just rewatched, I've seen this documentary like seven times. It's one of my favorites. If you want something a little different, check out Going Clear. <laughs> <laughs> Going clear, Scientology and the prison of belief. If you need a little something else, I'm just gonna check that in here. Yeah, I I finished. I honestly, I think I finished watching Low Country. I was like, you know what? I haven't watched in a while. Going clear, so I'm gonna watch it. Something that I want to revisit. It's Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I am only because there is some Scientology. I mean, like in the Scientology world, there's some stuff happening. Danny Masterson, I think, is on trial right now for sexual assault and rape, maybe. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. definitely sexual, definitely sexual assault. But like he's reportedly like roofied. Somewhere yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so like there's some stuff happening there. And I mean, there's just, you know, I've ever, ever changing things in Scientology. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's talk about crime. <laughs> more crime. <laughs> more crime. crime. Um, what are we talking about today, Joe? So I wanted to go light to ease us back in, and I wanted to talk about um, some crimes within the ocean, in and around the sea. The I'm laughing air. because I feel like this is not mine. Is not very light. Oh, mine is. It's kind of. So we'll but ease not. you back in with a fun and light. Story Definitely depressing. And then go into. I will co- have it come Debbie crashing Downer. down. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about illegal radio and the offshore era of pirate radio stations. Okay. London. Okay. Ooh. What? That should be fun. <laughs> So uh, we're going we're gonna to get a little history lesson here. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so with the kind of creation of telegraphic radio waves, the British government started to, like, regulate it. Um, and it was all kind of happening around the beginning of World War I. So um, in the 1900s, there was a few small laws to kind of control radio. And um, it, they were called, like, the series of wireless radio acts. But with World War One, restrictions started growing tighter because the Crown wanted to control it because it was a matter of safety. Of course. Right? Of, of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yes, quite. Um, but in 1922, after World War One, the British government gave basically a monopoly broadcasting license to the British Broadcasting Company, which, if you're not familiar, is the BBC. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so in theory, the BBC would have, like, complete control and in order to be on the radio you would have to purchase sponsored airtime from the bbc and the bbc would actually get their income from selling those brand license off to different radio receiver manufacturers so they were really in control of everything and if they didn't say you could have it you wouldn't be able to be on the radio and this arrangement lasted until 1927 when the government decided that they were going to kind of break up the licensing of the BBC a little bit. Of course, I'm like, not the BBC entirely. Is still, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because the, you know, the British crown still rules all the things at this time and to a degree today. Oh my God. Um, but the remains of the company were then sold to a new non-commercial BBC corporation, which operated under a charter from the crown. So not technically directly ruled by the crown. <laughs> But still. But also, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this is done under the guise of trying to make sure 
a world where one wouldn't happen again. So they still wanted to have control. Uh, oops. Yeah. Oh, oops. <laughs> um, they didn't want to spread terrible, no good ideas against the crown. Sometimes we hit these moments in history, in history where they're like, we'll never let a world war happen again. Surely that won't happen. Okay, and around the brink of World War Three, uh, Being in the future, looking back, they're like, oh, God. Pull the collar a little bit, right? Like, yeah, Because there was a few times where <laughs> Nazi sympathetic kind of people were trying to get on the radio so they were like we're not going to allow this yeah um (laughs) um, but after world war one there were some people who were upset with the way that the treaties kind of happened and so they were sympathizing with germany and things like that so they were like no 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 um so they wanted to stop that basically oh god right there was never a war again vicky never ever never we never had war ever again Um, Now, this idea of control spread a little bit, and the first place to kind of rebel against it actually wasn't in London. It was Luxembourg. Okay. So the station was already broadcasting legally around Europe from the tiny nation of Luxembourg, but with no commercial radio allowed in the UK thanks to the BBC's monopoly, entrepreneurs decided to kind of scoff at that and do what they wanted to. And so Radio Luxembourg became the most powerful privately owned transmitter in the world, and also they were, still in existence. Yes. Big time. <laughs> um, and they were broadcasting uh, within Britain and Ireland and doing a lot of what they called pirate country wavelengths. Okay. Which is very funny. Um, specifically creating shows for those particular areas. Okay. Uh, the station uh, had a huge influence on the British and Irish youth up until the 1950s, but its primary purpose was basically to sell advertising on Radio Luxembourg to, like, make a buck. Yeah. That would kind of change. They would stop being the preeminent uh, radio station because in the 1960s, radio and music drastically changed. Yes. I mean, the Beatles. The, be- the Beatles. <laughs> I mean, have you heard of the Beatles? Yeah. <laughs> well... The BBC and record labels controlled what music was popular. So the Beatles kind of were the first one to break against that, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. then they became controlled by I know. them. I'm thinking, so, I'm know. just, it was a very, like the 60s and 70s music industry was a very weird time mm-hmm. with like, because you had like the payola scandals and stuff happening mm-hmm. too. And that was all about buying plays on the radio, yep. right? Like, it just became kind of the Wild West mm-hmm. <laughs> of, like, mm-hmm. just bribery and controlling musical artists. and Oh, yeah. Like the, just To the degree where some of them became drug addicts and alcoholics and died. A lot of them became <laughs> drug addicts and alcoholics yeah. and died. Um, because there was so much fucking control over their yes. whole lives. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. So to rebel against a lot of that, a underground scene kind of started to form to rebel against the labels and pirating became the biggest thing um now pirating other stations was fine but if you made your whole entire station and sent it out on the waves that was like true rebelliousness so at this time everybody had a radio everyone Everyone had a fucking radio, and it wasn't hard to get equipment. It wasn't super cheap, but it was really accessible, and you could get it. You could also do a lot of, you know, piecing things together and make your own stuff. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't hard to create a wavelength and get it to people. 
they just had to be within the proper operating area. Right. Now, the BBC and the government missed a tiny little loophole when they were passing a bunch of laws. And that loophole was international waters, baby. (laughs) Leave it to a bunch of pirates to figure out the loophole. Right? (laughs) So they were like, if we broadcast from international waters, it does not fall under jurisdiction of the crown. I I love that. I love, like, how clever that is. Like, Mm -hmm. come and get me. Oh, wait, you can't. (laughs) Yeah. So also the BBC couldn't do, do anything about it. No one was in control because international waters be international waters. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this means that all the radio stations had to do was find an offshore vessel or a docking station to operate from, which would make them legal transmitters. Okay. Enter Radio Caroline. <laughs> okay. Yes. This is, I am not, I've never heard of that. Okay. I'm ready. Um, in February of 1964, Ronan O'Rahilly obtained a 702-ton former Danish passenger ferry oh called God. the Fredericia okay. and launched it in Frederikshavn in 1929, um, sorry, It was launched in Frederickshawn in 1929, and then it was just sitting on a dock. So he converted it to a radio station. Okay. Um, So it hasn't been doing anything really since then. That's a huge ship, too. It's fucking massive. There's a picture in my notes. It's massive. Oh, my God. Um, Okay, I have to go look at this. O'Rallahy was a nightclub owner and music manager, and he was sick of the BBC and major labels (laughs) controlling everything. And he's like, fuck this. I'm going to start my own fucking radio station. (laughs) Um, So Radio Caroline started transmitting in 1964, and teenagers in the UK and large parts of Western Europe were able to hear a lot of modern pop, rock, jazz, and soul music on their radios for the first time. Now, this ship was actually named after JFK's daughter, Caroline Kennedy, (laughs) because he was Irish, and everyone idolized JFK because JFK was Irish. (laughs) Okay. So the first program was actually pre-recorded and was hosted by Chris Moore. Uh, Radio Caroline's first musical theme was Jimmy McGriff's Round Midnight, which was a jazz standard that was uh, composed by Thelonious Monk. So, like, lots of really hip-happening American jazz people. Okay. And in March of 1964, the Fortunes recorded Radio Caroline's first ever stationed theme. And I wanted to play a little bit for you so you can hear. This is what all of the show started with. This was their, like, like radio the opening theme song. Okay. song um i (laughs) i do kind of i mean that's great i kind of love that they're you know obviously on the ship called caroline they have a Mm -hmm. caroline opening theme song like very on On brand brand. Mm -hmm. i applaud i applaud you (laughs) good job guys (laughs) so they were the first big major uh pirate radio station happening 
And they were very, very, very popular. They were the top one for the longest time. But then Radio London enters the chat. (laughs) I'm familiar with them, too. (laughs) Radio London um, and Radio Caroline were the top two, and they were kind of the ones that were always doing it out. Um, And they were crazy. They had lots of antics, and they were fun. Um, So a lot of people really enjoyed listening to these particular stations. But Radio London has a little bit of an interesting backstory because they were actually started by a Texan man named Don Pearson on December 23rd of 1964. So a little bit after Radio Caroline started. Okay. Yes. A Texan. Like from Texas? <laughs> from like, Texas. Well, I mean, like, were was they... Was still in Texas. And he was like, broadcasting from Texas? No, not from oh, Texas. Oh, okay. Um, so Radio London broadcasted from an MV Galaxy, which was a former World War II United States Navy minesweeper ship. Okay. <laughs> it was originally named USS Density, which I thought was <laughs> the worst name ever. What a name. You know, I got to say, and like this is evidenced by some of the operation names and stuff that we come across, but like the U.S. government is not great at naming shit. Not very creative. No. It's like... I very mean, on the nose. Is there, a, is there a boat called USS Buoyancy? <laughs> like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> so they took USS oh Density God. and they changed it into... They retrofitted it, changed it into Radio London. It was fitted out for radio broadcasting in Miami. Um, and then it sailed across the Atlantic to the Azores, where the antenna was erected there, and then before it was finally positioned off the Essex coast. So it traveled all the way from Florida to um, England, and it stayed there for a very, very, very long time off the Essex coast. Um, Radio London and Radio Caroline were really in a battle with each other, <laughs> um, and because the BBC and this is the other difficult thing to understand about all of this. The UK Royal Mail okay. has a lot to do with radio communications, too. Really? Yeah. So they're in charge of, like, all communications. Not just, like... Not just mail. Not just mail, which confused the fuck out of me. I was like, what? The UK yeah. Royal Mail? Um, That's very... I would... So they were in charge of communications as broad generally. And of yeah. course, the mail system's the first and foremost. But they do have a lot to do with assisting governing like transmissions, which I thought was fucking bananas. Um so the BBC and the Royal Mail controlled so much of the communications that were going on um that pirate radio stations couldn't even take calls or requests on the ships because the UK Royal Mail blocked their numbers. <laughs> <laughs> New so, ship, who dis? Right? So what they had to do was station close enough to shore to go on to the shore and take requests and phone calls from landlines. And they would often have to pre-record some of these things and put them back on. In August of 1966, the Beatles began their last U.S. concert tour. Okay. And, you know, it was the famous time where the more famous than jesus line came out okay so there was a lot of controversy the bigger than jesus yeah um <laughs> that was kind of happening and so all the radio stations not just the pirate radios were trying to get all of these exclusive interviews with the beatles because this is their last tour yeah they were going off the rails and saying fucking banana stuff but you know everyone was doing drugs like yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was going ham so every radio station was tracking the tour and trying to get 
interviews with the Beatles. And because of um, the whole issue with having to go to shore to answer phone calls and shit, there was a little bit of difficulty. So the DJ would have to start playing something, run ashore, (laughs) take a call, and then tape the conversation with the band before heading back to the ship (laughs) where they would take the, the recording, edit it a little bit, and then slice it into the next music uh, section and the interviews would kind of come together with the musical interludes to create like a 30 minute spot. Yeah. So they were just running back and forth. Like every day they would do interviews oh with God. them while they were on tour. Yeah. Every single day. And they were doing this, like going running, like park in the boat, run up to shore, take, That's the, crazy. take the phone call, run back. So they were actually doing interviews with the Beatles. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. While they were on the road. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, so That's it was wild. it was very wild, and they were doing this like they were turning it over so quickly. They were recording right away, yeah, and splicing it together and putting it right into the next fucking chunk of the block of music. <laughs> like I think of '90s radio voices. I think of radio. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, and this would all be done on tape, like the yeah. old style. Where you literally had to cut it. Yeah, together. like the big rollers of yeah. tape. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So that's dedication. <laughs> yeah. So all this wonderful glory would start to come to an end because in 1966, right after they're going back and forth with the Beatles, the British government started to trying to rein in offshore radios. So they were mm-hmm. getting a lot of coverage because of the Beatles tour and they were getting so many exclusive interviews, Radio London in particular, with the Beatles, um, that the British government's like, this is out of control. They're way too popular. <laughs> Why didn't we get those interviews? <laughs> right. Um, and although these stations maintained a lot of, like, sales management offices in Brit- Britain, the transmitters were not under British law. Yeah. So they were trying to figure out how they could close this loophole, basically. And in many instances, too, the ships were actually not registered with that country. They were registered with other countries. So it created even more difficulty in trying to figure out how to stop this. Yeah. So it became a parliamentary debate, (laughs) and in this debate, they listed several reasons why unlicensed broadcasting should be stopped. Opponents referred to pirate radio stations, um, and they were making a lot of allegations about piracy, including misappropriation of World War II military installations. So the boat docks offshore and appropriating older um, vessels. Yeah. They also said that wavelengths allocated to others and unauthorized playing of recorded music was an issue in international waters. Um, There was a lot of uh, uh, decency laws still that were happening with, like, the radio. And so a lot of this popular music didn't jive with the decency laws. So that was another issue. Yeah. Um, Other claims said that the vessels were a danger to shipping and that their signals could interfere with aircraft and police, fire, and ambulance services. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I can imagine that being a problem. Yeah. If it were true. (laughs) Big if true. Is it true? (laughs) So there is no documentation of that. Um, But they were saying that there is potential for that to happen. Okay. Um, I could understand... If you're a pirate radio station and you're not, like, you know, telling people where you're docking and stuff or that you're coming ashore, that could be a problem. Yeah. But only in, like, the dead of night, not necessarily during the day because you can see a fucking ship in the day. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and I imagine they'd have to obviously be running on the same frequencies as like whatever the communication is happening, and they yeah. probably weren't. I'm guessing yeah, if no, they were like were public frequencies, right, that mm-hmm. people could listen to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how radio works, but I'm assuming that's how Waves. it works. <laughs> yes. So um, there was one incident in particular that caused a big stir. And was a little crimey. Okay. So uh, Reginald Calvert, who was the operator of Radio City, um, had refused to pay Radio Caroline operator Oliver Smedley for a substandard transmitter that he received. So they were kind of giving out transmitters to help uh, broadcast their particular radio um, segments other places. And so because Smedley received this transmitter, he was trying to get his money back and and return it. And that just wasn't happening. So Smedley hired some riggers um, to occupy Radio City uh, facilities, which was on Shivering Sands, a disused offshore defense fort. (laughs) And in an altercation at Smedley's house, Smedley shot Calvert dead. Oh, my God. Over a radio transmitter. Damn. So um, if you're not familiar, riggers are kind of like hired henchmen, basically. Okay. Um, who, I guess it's closer to like a scab situation, maybe, um, where you hire people to come in to kind of do and occupy a place. Okay. Um, okay. But this was the thing that they were talking about where they were, you know, occupying old World War II defense forts. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> it's, an, it's interesting the amount of like former war whatever they reutilize for oh, yeah. like and off all the this coast shit. of england they were so afraid that germany was going to attack them from the shores of france that they had so many defense forts in like the english channel and offshore and all mm-hmm. around um and so they were just completely abandoned after yeah. World War II, so. i gotta be honest with you i was kind of waiting for just like a, an open ocean battle between the two broadcasting ships like trying I mean, to sink each other there's still time oh god <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no like that's willings, what i was waiting willing for. full sinking yeah. of other ships we'll say that yeah. <laughs> so after this like very popularized in the British newspapers shootout between these two radio guys. Oh my God. Um, the government decided enough was enough. And so by 1967, if you think about this, there are 10 pirate radio stations that were broadcasting daily off of the coasts of England. And they had about 10 to 15 million listeners. Wow. So that's a lot of outreach. So there yeah. was quite a stir and a big, you know listener base. And at this time in 1967, Radio London, you know, they were the preeminent one. They got exclusive interviews. They even got an exclusive interview for the um, release of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. Whoa, Um, that's huge. And there was like no other radio station that got an interview about the release of that. That's huge. Also a great album. Yeah. So they were like really on their shit. Yeah. And so the government was like, you know, this is enough. Like people are out of fucking control. They're getting all these exclusive interviews because they're so hip and happening and they're illegal. Yeah. We need to fucking do something. So after that shooting incident, the UK Parliament wrote and passed the Marine Broadcasting Offense Act of 1967. Oh, my God. (laughs) The act stated that the operations of offshore pirate radio stations were illegal if they were operated or assisted by persons subject to UK law. 
Okay. It prohibited, quote, carrying by water or air goods or persons to or from it, which made tendering illegal. <laughs> so you base you couldn't take part in it if you were subject. A UK citizen. Basically. Yeah. 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 So the so, Texan was fine. He was he was fine, but everyone who was on the boat oh like was running for him was british <laughs> oh fuck so that's where the problem came in oh, and so no. what they did try to do to kind of close that loophole was to get people who were not brits to come in and do all of the actual like running of the boat and running of the transmitters yeah. but they ran into a problem because all of the personalities on here were british uh, the radio personalities are British. You can't just like dump a, a radio DJ to get a you know someone who's not British, yeah, to fucking come on there to do the show so that you could remain in operation. It's <laughs> a good point. Yes. So Radio London continued broadcasting until its very last transmission, which was on the eve of the new laws. And I was going to play a short clip. They still have the last recording. <laughs> off of this it's okay the entire show is 45 minutes but i'm not gonna play 45 minutes oh god please you can listen to the whole thing but you yeah. can this is like just like them kind of like like talking the sign about off. how they're signing off Aww. it's kind of sad yes radio london one of the first stations in the country in fact possibly the first to play this one by strawberry children Three to six times slot, and in the 12 to three times slot, well, I can't just express how much fun I've had, and I hope you've had fun with me as well, playing the music and uh, listening to the terribly corny joke. Anyway, it's bye for now. Hope to see you all later. Keep listening to your radios. We'll meet again. So you can see how Aww. modern radio broadcasting kind of got. It's like, yeah, that's even yeah. and like, I feel like even now it's like a more refined version of that. That mm-hmm. sounds a lot better. Like that seemed so chaotic. Oh, yeah. It was <laughs> like, utter chaos. Yeah. <laughs> and even and then there's like this very sweet little little British man. Like, off and like, I had so much fun. I hope you had fun with yeah. me too. And then you have this <laughs> sort of, not, I wouldn't say sad music, but compared to all the jazz before and after it, it's like. Like, you know, kind so of much sl- fucking slow and like, you know, like uh, w- uh, wistful, you mm-hmm. know, kind of music. Remembering yes, the olden days. You have like, to remember. Pow, 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 pow. He has to be stoic. He's a British man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No emotions. Just ta-ta oh for God. now. We'll it's meet true. again someday. It's a very British. I have total sidebar. Okay, um, way. Very, very big fan of the crown. Um, <laughs> the show or the, show, the crown the show. in general? Not the crown in general. I think the monarchy is bullshit. Yes. But um, the, I have not the, watched the crown because I think the monarchy is bullshit. It's super great. The monarchy hates it. So you should watch it. Uh, yes. um, well, we saw a commercial today where they were talking about the new episode. It's so and good. it was like... <laughs> Someone said about Princess Diana, every time she opens her mouth, it's like a hand grenade comes out. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's it's super good. But they have – so they do the time jumps um, mm-hmm. and change in actors and actresses for, like, mm-hmm. each Which I enjoy that. Era, mm-hmm. yeah. And the current 
person they have playing the queen is the same actress who played um, Umbridge in mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Yeah. And I was like, she's really good for it because not only does she have the she's look, <laughs> but she, there, she does bring like a certain amount of Englishness mm-hmm. to the role. And right I don't and know how to describe that yeah. kind of like attitude, but it is this kind of very stoic, very measured, like mm-hmm. proper kind of like bitchiness. <laughs> bitchiness. <laughs> bitchiness. Yeah, British yeah. bitchiness. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that is, a, I mean, that's kind of the same thing he has, where even if he's trying to do this fun thing, it's like, I've enjoyed my time. <laughs> right. See you on the other side. So he's about to jump off a fucking bridge. It's so sad. Yeah, um, sorry. Sidebar. No, over. it's fine. <laughs> so um, Radio London came to an end, but Radio Caroline said, oh, hell no. And they announced that they were moving to Holland. Oh, okay. <laughs> So they had an advertising office in New York City, and they decided they were going to move their ship to Holland. The station had staffing, fuel, and food issues for a really long time because they had to move and try to figure out what the hell they were doing. They switched and moved ships a few times during this time, too, because the original ship was just on its last legs. One vessel even sank off the shore. Oh, fuck. And luckily no one was hurt, but... Yeah, but all that, that equipment. Yeah, right? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Um, and that set them back a little bit. But the station kept going and doing broadcasting on the sea until the early 2000s. Wow. Yeah. They That's officially, wild. Yeah. They officially moved back to the land offices after, I think it was like 2005 or something. But then they brought back an offshore vessel in 2018, and they still have it going today. Really? Yes. I would never have assumed that, right? like, the <laughs> offshore radio broadcasting industry would still be popping. They they are still a thing. The other really interesting thing about this is just because they closed all these loopholes and the offshore radios started to slowly, literally move away or end, that did not stop pirate radioing at all. Pirate radio still exists on land in the UK. And there are still thousands of quote-unquote illegal radio stations operating today, and you can still get them, like, on your phone, on a radio. There's a really hilarious television show, uh, which is actually a mockumentary called People Just Do Nothing. Okay. And it is about a fake British pirate radio station called Corrupt FM. Nice. <laughs> and it's very much in the style of like The Office. Okay. Um, but the radio station is like all of these white guys who are doing like British rap, and it is very fucking funny. And you should you should go watch it. It sounds like something I would it watch. It is so funny. But it's kind of making fun of how pirate radio stations are still a thing. And no yeah. matter how dumb you are, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because I'm, I'm like kind of curious if this is really still something that the like British government is like super worried about. Because honestly, with like the advent of the internet and Podcasts. like streaming and <laughs> podcasting, like you can literally put out content on any platform. I mean, unless you're in you know? communist countries right, like China right. and Russia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or if you're in the Middle East, like Iran, where they just shut down the entire fucking internet. Yeah. Westernized countries don't do that as much, but yeah. they still do it. Um, yeah. I don't think so much anymore with the pirate radio because 
the monarchy is not as much as in control. I think yeah. because back then when all this started, the monarchy was still prevalent and in the forefront in people's minds and still mm-hmm. in control, like visibly in control, not behind the scenes in control. Yeah. Um, it was an issue. And they yeah. revolved everything around like the safety of the country, right? Because World War II and World War I, right. and I like were, you know, big yeah. fucking deals. Yeah. After World War II, England was in – a horrible depression and abstract poverty um, until the 60s. Yeah. And so a lot of people did pirate radio as like a a freedom, you know, against all of this tyranny and the fact that the government was putting all of these people into an economic depression. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's – me being an anarchist, (laughs) you know, I think it's amazing and fantastic that people were thinking so outside of the box, like, well, I'll just fucking – Broadcast from a boat. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I do like love really that. I love that. outside of the box. Um, yeah. It was probably, like you said, probably more of a concern back then because of the involvement of the, of the monarchy, but also because, like, radio at the time was the form of communication. Oh, and yes. that is not the case now. People's, Obviously, we have... I mean, today, people <clears throat> still tune in for Christmas for the radio, oh, the radio broadcast from the monarchy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's still this very deep entrenched connection to that for a lot of people in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are people of a certain age demographic. Yeah, there's a big – we could go into the monarchy <laughs> and the shift that's happening. Yes, um, and I'm but, super excited to see that. Yeah, um, I am too. Get Charles out of there. Bye. Just just blow but, it up. You know, do like all the other – it's where we're, it's like, yeah, yeah, we acknowledge that you have a historical lineage, but you don't live in the castle that you own. And – we don't give a shit about your birthday. We don't give a shit about coronation day. We don't give a shit about anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely a tide shift. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that is a very brief, brief yeah. history of pirate radio. There is a really hilarious movie that has the guy, oh, what's the guy's name who played Ron Weasley in Harry Potter? Oh, I don't remember. About Radio London. About Radio yes. London, yeah. So there's yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a I've very, seen trailers it was like for that. The, one of the things, the first things he did after he was yeah. done with Harry Potter. <laughs> he's actually a really good actor. He was. Um, in he's been in quite a few. Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. The yeah. episode he did was fan fucking tastic. Yeah, that I wanted to watch um, too because that just came out recently. Yes, it's really good. Yeah, I watch it. It's so yeah. good. He does one that involves a witch, and I'm like, Ooh. oh yes, please. But there's a really funny movie about it, and there's a lot of really, really good books. Like, yeah, so many good books. The pirate radio on the water era, I think, was the best because it was so off the wall, raucous. There was like they'd have dance parties and stuff. Like, yeah, all the famous people would take boats out to there and party on these ships and stuff. It was just so like fun, yeah, and so like 1960s psychedelic culture, yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought That's it was wild. very fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pirate radios. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
And now we're turning it back to you, Vicky. Purr, purr, purr. <laughs> yeah, so mine's not as happy. Right. <laughs> Maybe I should have went last. I gotta be honest, yeah. And it's funny because when you talk about um, something like ocean crimes, like... <laughs> There is a lot. There's out a there. lot. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about pirate radio. There's actual pirates. Yes. <laughs> like boarding people's ship. There's like yeah. random missing like things in the people sea. People trying to make submarines. People trying to make submarines. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What was that? Kim Wall? Mm-hmm. Did I was, you watch that documentary that came out about it? No. Recently, there no. were like three that came out. No. Oh, yeah. There's so many. I'm going to have to look into it. it was on HBO. Oh. Hulu or something. Yeah, Dude, were, I'm sorry. HBO, too much content. Too much HBO content. are the kings of documentary making. Oh, yeah. I, mm-hmm. That might be a hot take. I'm sorry. They do it better than anybody else. I would say <laughs> I when have to say that. back in the day, Netflix, when they first came out, their style was great because it was very off the fucking wall. You're like, what is happening? Yeah. But if you want like serious, good, well-researched, well-researched, well-researched high quality, <laughs> high production value. If you want to sit there and go, what the fuck? Mm. Netflix. <laughs> mm. Yes, 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 yes. So, they, I mean, I had a lot to choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, when I was... <laughs> through like weird that i'm kind of into the weird mysterious stuff that because the yes. ocean is kind of weird and mysterious yes it's deep there was like dark <laughs> yeah there was like this um island that just like disappeared off the coast of mexico i was okay. like well, that's kind of interesting mm-hmm. but not really crimey so i mean you can go a lot of ways yeah. mine wasn't like too crimey yeah it was made up crime yeah 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 <laughs> They just decided it was crime. They were like, I don't like that there's boats that have radios on them. So So we are going to actually talk about the final voyage of the Bluebell. Ooh. Has this got ghost ship vibes in it? No. (laughs) Damn. Definitely. Well, let me tell you. Okay. Tell me the story. Yeah. I hope I tried to do this in a very like cinematic way. Oh, yes. So hopefully my storytelling is on point. I (laughs) need (laughs) popcorn. Our story begins on November 13th, 1961. Okay. Ooh, same time period. When while in the Northwest Providence Channel in the Bahamas, the tanker Gulf Lion discovered a man in a dinghy along with a young girl in the raft that was tied behind the dinghy, Mm -hmm. just like floating in the channel. Mm -hmm. The man was shouting for help. And when the Gulf Lion got close enough, he identified himself as Julian Harvey and said he was the captain of the Bluebell. He then said that the girl in the raft behind him was Terry Jo Duperalt, and she was dead. Wow. And that's the end of the story. (laughs) Opening. She'd be dead. (laughs) The story Harvey told the men on the Gulf Lion was that he had been taking the Duperalt family on a yacht cruise through the Bahamas. The group was on its way back when, in the middle of the night, a squall struck, managing to knock the mainmast so hard that it fell straight down through the cabin and the hull of the boat. On its way down, it hit another mast along with the gas lines in the engine room starting a fire. Shit. Now, according to Harvey, all five members of the Duperalt family and Harvey's wife, Mary Dean, who had also been on board, had either perished in the wreckage or jumped overboard, mm-hmm. except for um, the young girl that he had brought with him that he said was Terry Joe. So many holes already, but he has a dinghy and a raft. That's a lot of work for one person. It is. <laughs> 
But this is this is I will kind let of this unfold. <laughs> yes. As this starts, this is like, what is people are oh my gosh, he was in this horrible ship shipwreck. You know, let's get him on board, find out what's going on. Okay. So let's talk about the Duperout family for a few minutes. Um, Arthur Duperout was married to Jean. They had three kids, 14-year-old Brian, 11-year-old Terry Joe, and seven-year-old Renee. The family lived in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And they could afford a trip to the Bahamas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Arthur was a successful contact lens optometrist there. Okay. He's yeah. a doctor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Dr. Duperald. Yeah. Um, he also, during World War II, Arthur had sailed the waters of the Bahamas. So he was this very like accomplished okay. Navy man. Mm-hmm. Really had a love for the water, the ocean. That's kind of why they were in Green Bay, too, because it's mm-hmm. not far from the lake. They spent a lot of time on the lake. Yeah, there was a weird conspiracy that people thought that Germany was going to attack the U.S. through Florida. Yeah, I could see that. Okay, well, you have fun in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's why he was down there then, Yeah, huh? mm-hmm. yeah. That, yeah, they were going to Bahamas and obviously... Hawaiian Islands. <laughs> yeah. So he had um, sailed these waters and really wanted to like go back there, take his family back there, like kind of have this epic um, sailing adventure, right? So he packed the family up. They headed down to Fort Lauderdale, where they chartered the Catch Bluebell from owner Harold Pegg. Uh, Julian Harvey would be on board and he was going to be like the captain and the tour guard said, hey, my wife, Mary Dean, is going to join us. Um, And they all went out. Now, Harvey, he's actually kind of an interesting dude. (laughs) Julian Harvey. He um, so during the Korean War, he's also a veteran during the Korean War. He's a skilled bomber pilot. Uh, Mary Dean was actually his sixth wife. That doesn't um, bode well. <laughs> now, according to Mental Floss, Harvey... How many of his wives died? Yeah, one at okay. least. Okay. <laughs> yeah, hold on, we'll get oh, to that. God. <laughs> Actually, we're going to get to that okay, now. Okay. Um, so Harvey had this kind of like habit of going from woman to woman. It was, they talk about it being this sort of like whirlwind, like wooing of a woman getting married and then like pretty quickly thereafter being like... Uh, they talk about him often being like, I don't love you anymore. Uh, and then just like into the honeymoon stage. And yeah. yeah. I mean, you can shop around without buying the product. Like you don't need to get married. You know what I mean? It's true. <laughs> it's true. As somebody who waited for how long before and only did it because of the technicalities. Pandemics <laughs> make you do crazy things. Yeah. It's um, all about the health insurance. Exactly. You know exactly. <laughs> so... Tragedy struck in 1949 when, while he was traveling with his second wife, they talk about it maybe being the third wife, but it, I'm just going to say it's the second wife, Joan. Yeah. Um, and Joan and his mother-in-law, Joan's mother, the car, quote, swerved on a bridge and rolled over the side into the bayou below. Harvey was the only survivor of the crash. So, okay. Accident with a vessel vehicle of some sort into a swamp. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> so back to this boat trip to the Bahamas. Um, the Duperall family, Harvey and Mary Dean, leave for a week in the Bahamas. They had just like a really fantastic time snorkeling in the crystal blue waters, exploring these little uninhabited islands, you know, it, to me, I'm like, I look at that and I'm like, rich people shit. But yeah, exactly. Who am I to judge? <laughs> um, this also was, it doubled as like a test trip for a months-long voyage that the family was planning to take. So this was mm-hmm. kind of like, let's test it out, like see how the whole family does on the boat and whatever. And then if 
this goes well, like, we'll take this month-long voyage on the ocean. It's a long fucking time to be in the water. Yeah. But <laughs> as a former Navy man, like, Arthur was all about it. Yeah, but how, how old were his kids? Um, seven, <laughs> yeah, okay. 11, Seasick, and automatically. Um, yeah. <laughs> beating each other up. I'm yeah. bored. I'm bored on the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so... It was a Sunday night when the ship begins to make its return trip back to Florida. And that, according to Harvey, is when tragedy struck. Okay. Okay. So he gets picked up by this freighter, the Gulf Lion, Mm -hmm. tells them the story of the shipwreck happening on their way back to Florida. Three days later, he was interviewed by the Coast Guard and pretty much like largely told the same story. But it didn't take long before holes started to show, especially to the Coast Guard that literally specializes in maritime things. Like maybe knowing the weather? Mm-hmm. 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 Big squall? Mm-hmm. Visible on a radar, I would say. <laughs> so some people pointed out that Harvey was like, weirdly calm for a guy who had literally just watched not only his wife, but a family of five clients die and narrowly escaping death himself. He was in the Korean War, though. Yes. That's a different kind of Mm -hmm. a man, I would say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's seen some shit. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, there were there were people who described him after leaving the Korean War that kind of said he was a little um he was almost like a little jumpy but like not not the same. Disassociated? Like, as the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would you say yeah. he was disassociated? Maybe. <laughs> um the owner of the boat, Harold Pegg, he found the circumstances of the sinking as incredibly odd because the boat had been inspected and cleared before the voyage. Mm-hmm. Which is why you have to have the squall story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Coast Guard continued their questioning and pretty quickly, like, the inconsistencies started to show. Um, this is, again, from Mental Floss, quote, For one, the idea of a mast plunging straight through the deck of right? a sailboat was unlikely. Mm-hmm. Mast broken by squall winds tilt over rather than fall straight down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harvey asserted that after the mast failure, he had asked Dr. Duperall to steer the bluebell while he went to find cable cutters to cut through the downed rigging. As the fire broke out in the engine room and spread up through the cockpit, the course he'd asked Duperall to follow into the wind actually began fanning the flames, yet he'd insisted Duperall keep steering in the same direction, an inconceivable move for any person of common sense, let alone a Navy veteran and experienced sailor like Arthur, Arthur Duperall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. End quote. Why wouldn't you just say that it caught on fire? What is with all the mast play? <laughs> well, I'm sure it has to do something with the boat sinking and yeah. like the boats that are on fire eventually. Well, that's not, you all that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. I've seen there was a case. I think the last time that we, if it can, if the fire consumes the entirety of the boat, yeah, then yes, yeah. it would sink. There, I think the last time that we talked about, we did like an ocean crimes episode. Um, the case that I covered, which I cannot even remember <laughs> the name of, but I'm pretty sure in that case there was this huge fire on the boat, and all that was left was like the bottom part floating mm-hmm. in the water. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe it was just to explain the. Quick sinking of the boat? I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. You got to get a better story, my dude. (laughs) There's more. Oh, God. There was a lighthouse near the site of the shipwreck. 
And this lighthouse never reported seeing a fire at the same time the boat would have been in flames on Mm -hmm. the water. And at night... You're you gonna notice see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, was the squall still happening while the fire was going on? It's a good question. Because <laughs> then maybe not, but then also, wouldn't the squall put out the fire? But also, then I the, mean, if it's like the gas lighthouse or... wouldn't see it, yeah. But also, then they would see that there was a squall, right? <laughs> make it make sense. Yes. <laughs> um. So. The lighthouse didn't see the flames. Harvey never made an attempt to get to that island. After he found the body of what he thought was Terry Joe, like there was no attempt made to like get to because he would have seen like he would have yeah. seen the fucking island with the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so he never tried to make to the island with who he thought was Terry Joe, but they had actually discovered it was the youngest daughter, Renee. Mm. OK, and he never attempted to find or use the flares that were in an emergency kit in the dinghy. As the interview with the Coast Guard finished up, they suddenly got word of something that would change the entire investigation. (laughs) There was a survivor. (gasps) Gasp! One of the children? Was it one of the children? It is! Yeah! It is! Kids always fucking survive. (laughs) So three days, three days after the shipwreck, a freighter captain or I'm sorry, a freighter named Captain Theo spotted something floating in the water. Now, at first they thought it was like a fisherman's buoy, but as they got closer, they realized it was a little girl. When she was brought aboard, she revealed herself as Terry Jo Duperall. Uh, She was severely dehydrated, like sunburned, nearly unconscious. They took... Um, she was just floating by herself, like not in anything. She No, she was in a – it was like this little life raft thing. Okay, okay. Because like um, imagine being a, a small child trying to kick to keep yourself floating. Yeah, like, no. I would die. It was like, – I give up. Sink to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> let me show you the it's Like a one-person raft. It was, yeah, like a one-person raft. Um, they took pictures of her in the water, like, before they pulled her. Oh, as, as, okay. they, <laughs> as they were going to, like, get her. Great somebody, idea, but also this is the 1960s where it's, like, not that easy to just be, like, snap a photo. Yeah, here's here's <laughs> the picture of her in the... Oh, wow. Yeah, so this is what Yikes. they saw floating. Okay, just yeah, a yeah. tiny one-person... does not look like a buoy. <laughs> and these guys are far away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think before the ship got closer, she had been laying in it, so, mm. like... As it got closer, she found the energy to, like, wave them down. Mm-hmm. Had just enough um, in her to tell them who she was. Yeah. So they picked her up, took her back to shore, and immediately got her medical attention. Yeah. Um, they were just amazed that, like, in the course of – it was about three and a half days. I think they ended up saying it was, like, 84 hours um, that she – not only hadn't died from like starvation or dehydration, she hadn't been eaten by any predators or attacked by any predators, like mm-hmm. nothing, nothing. So when Harvey, having just finished up this interview with the Coast Guard, found out this is literally like he was in the interview with the Coast Guard. Somebody came in and told them they just found Terry Joe. He was like, Oh my God, that's great news. And like really applauded, was like, like shit, shit, shit in his head. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm so glad she's okay. And then abruptly left. 
the next day disappear (laughs) yeah the next day miami police received a phone call from the sandman motel after a maid discovered a strange smell coming from room 17 when they were finally able to get in they discovered harvey dead uh from self-inflicted slash wounds oh my god (laughs) They also found a note addressed to his friend James Boozer that read, quote, I'm a nervous wreck and that and just can't continue. I'm going out now. I guess I either don't like life or don't know what to do with it. End Jesus. Quote. It also left instructions for the adoption of Harvey's son, along with a request to be buried at sea. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's like, well. That face. Mm. Yes. <laughs> so. In the days that followed, Terry Joe was able to sort of explain what actually happened on the boat that night. Mm. Although she didn't see, like, the beginning of all of the altercations, like, what kicked off all of the stuff. It's theorized that Harvey killed his wife, Mary Dean, in their cabin, potentially for uh, the insurance money. Mm. Having been awoken by the commotion, Arthur went to investigate and seeing Arthur, Harvey killed him before killing Jean and Brian. And Renee is assumed to have drowned, but it's unclear how, like whether she was thrown from the boat, she was she held underwater, you know, was she attacked in the, you know, they, they're not really sure. So this, this all happens before Terry Joe even knows she's in danger. Mm-hmm. So this is where her memory picks up. She's awoken by screams and a scuffle, goes to investigate it herself. Um, and it was at that time that Terry Joe saw the bodies of her mother and her brother. As she attempted to go further on deck, Harvey forced Terry Joe back into her cabin where she stayed for a while while Harvey was going around the boat, opening the sea valves to scuttle the boat and prepare his escape. Mm. So water is now rising in her cabin mm-hmm. and she's trying to figure out what to do. When it finally got high enough, she decided to attempt to go back up on deck. There she found Harvey prepping the dinghy, um, and he handed her the line that was attached to the dinghy. Now, some people say in this moment he, like, realizes that Terry Joe is still alive, decides he wants to try and kill her, hands her the line so that he can go grab, like, a knife or something to try and attack her, but she drops the line. Mm-hmm. He realizes like he realizes this is his only escape route mm-hmm. and dives off the boat um to go get <laughs> the, the dinghy, dinghy yeah. to go after the dinghy, leaving Terry Joe stranded mm-hmm. on this sinking vessel. Now she looked around, manages to spot this single life raft that she's pictured in. And how old is she? Eleven. Okay. Okay. She's eleven. So she manages to but I mean that's still I imagine like my niece is this age, right? Mm-hmm. Like, would she? <laughs> I don't know. That's. I mean, that is like. I mean, smart if her for a kid. Was a navy man. True. He would have been like, this is where all the safety equipment mm-hmm. is. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. That's yeah, a really good point. He would have prepared the fuck out of those kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she grabs the life raft and floats off into the ocean. And three and a half days later, she's found adrift. Now it later would be revealed. Um, that Harvey potentially killed his wife in order to collect a 20000 double indemnity insurance policy. Mm. It was also discovered that this was not the first time that a ship had sunk under Harvey's watch. Not a very good captain. <laughs> no. <laughs> in fact, it had happened twice before. 
that's a pattern. <laughs> um, both both were under like very suspicious circumstances. And although there were some questions as to how um, this happened when the insurance claims got filed, mm. both were ultimately decided in Harvey's favor. Mm. Now, again, this is again from Mental Floss, quote, later, friends would admit that the first wreck, Harvey had probably steered the boat into an obstacle on purpose. And in the case of the second, he flat out admitted to setting his vessel on fire, end quote. <laughs> now, none of this was known at the time that the Coast Guard was interviewing Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um you know, obviously they were still operating under the assumption that what he was saying was true. Right. He was the only survivor. Like, yeah, you don't have any other until you find the boat, right? You have or, no evidence or, or another human, survivor. Yeah. <laughs> so after making a full recovery, Terry Joe returned to Green Bay, where she lived with relatives. Uh, now I use full recovery loosely because in her adult years, when she has come out now and, and talked about um, this whole ordeal, mm-hmm. she has said that like while physically she was fine, she really did not get any mental health oh, yeah, support, no. any counseling, like nothing that honestly she really needed after not only surviving something so traumatic yeah, at trauma, 11, trauma. <laughs> but like, yeah, literally losing her entire family in one fell Seeing swoop, them like actually dead. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and then being on the ocean by yourself when you're 11 years old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like because she didn't get any of this counseling, and like nobody was asking her questions about it, she just never talked about the events after after this interview with the Coast Guard, and they like found out what happened. That was the last time she talked about it until she was in her like 40s, mm. which is sad. I mean, like. I will say she has since, you know, in her adult years, gotten uh, some mental help and she started a family. She has grandkids. She continues to live in Wisconsin, where interestingly enough, she works for the Wisconsin's Department of Natural Resources as a water management specialist. Hmm. Um, But she also, excuse me, she also went on to co-author a book about her experience with psychologist Richard Logan. It's called Alone Orphaned in the Ocean. Um, So definitely check that out. But that was really kind of when she when she co-authored this book is like kind of when she started to tell her story again. She's very much like if there's anything that I hope to gain out of this is to help people like realize that even your worst time like you can make it like you can get through it which i find very encouraging yeah just a wild story yeah that's fucking nuts that reminds me of the a little bit of the chick who survived that plane crash um by herself. oh yes yeah yeah where she, she was, was like stuck in the trees too. for a while mm-hmm. and had to float down the river that one yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. oh my god interesting how it's a lot of Women surviving these. Almost like we're built to endure trauma. Oh, God. Is that a good thing, though? <laughs> Is it a good thing that we're built to endure trauma? No. It's it fucking not sucks. The worst. Anyway. To, but it's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. That is the story of the final voyage of the Bluebell. Oh, shit. This is why I don't go on the ocean. Yeah. And if you're trying to decide to go to on the, the ocean. lakes and the rivers that I'm Oh, God. To. I'm so sorry. <laughs> if you're trying to decide whether or not you should go on the ocean, maybe listen to one of these podcasts first. Mm-hmm. We're the Vocal Fries. I'm Carrie. And I'm Megan. And we have a podcast about linguistic discrimination. We talk about language, not being a jerk, not judging people for the way that they speak, and we try to have a good time. We talk about things like vocal fry, swearing, 
Southern American English, and prescriptive grammar. You can find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. I'm kind of kicking myself oh my for not starting this with, ahoy! <laughs> Avast you, matey. Right? That's fine. Um, <laughs> so that has been our show. I'm so glad that we're back. Yeah, we did the damn yeah, thing. We, we done did it. this poop deck. And- we done did it. Yeah. Um, I will say we don't have any events or anything no. <laughs> coming up for the rest of the year. Yeah. I mean, not podcast related. <laughs> no. The no. end of November is a crime against yeah. me. <laughs> I do want to say um, thanks to Ghostly. We, mm, if, yeah. I'm ho- Crossover I hope, episode. Yeah. I hope you guys had a chance to listen to the episode we dropped in our feed. Um absolutely love pat and rebecca from ghostly um i was it was interesting my mom had started listening to it and we listened to it when we were on our way down for my cousin's wedding Mm -hmm. and so i was like it's it's so weird to like listen to a podcast that isn't ours on (laughs) our our feed like (laughs) but she really enjoyed it so Mm -hmm. i hope i hope you all did too and just like stay safe going into the holidays yeah you know, I recently decided to go back into therapy <laughs> hey, because of the holidays. Welcome to the club. Yeah, I know. I I, I was. Again, I think <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad that I I purposely scheduled. Um, I had therapy last week. I purposely scheduled it the week before Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving's just kind of a high anxiety time for me. Oh yeah, um, I specifically am always triggered around gatherings. Yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> I showed up to therapy and was like, so I rented an apartment. She's like, well, this is not what I thought we were going to be talking about today. <laughs> it's like, yeah, me neither. But here we are. So mm-hmm. welcome to the therapy club again. Yeah. I had a critique <laughs> in one of my classes and I was like, I'm sorry I'm being so open and honest. I just started therapy again. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. we're used to it, Janelle. It's fine. I'm like, okay, yeah. sorry. <laughs> this Christmas, get yourself the gift of therapy. The keeps giving. <laughs> the keeps giving. <laughs> Um, okay, with that, <laughs> I think, do you have anything else, Chanel? I mean, no. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay, our Saturday. Donate for Christmas, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, donate to some of your nonprofits. That I That's what I always do, Giving Tuesday. Do it. Um, yeah, for every present I give, I try to donate $20, so it's a lot of money. <laughs> Girl, that's a lot of money. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. It's fine. It all comes back around eventually. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, the Enigma. This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you actually in two weeks this time. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Goodbye. I wish I had a bell, like a ship bell. Ding, 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 Tiff, in post, we need to put in a ship bell. (laughs) I love your... A dingy bell. A (laughs) dingy bell.